Graduates, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? What wisdom is there for us as white Christians in these pandemic times, the pandemic of COVID-19 and the centuries long pandemic of white supremacy? This podcast is a project of showing up for racial justice, Surge Faith, and is particularly designed for white Christians, white Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy. We believe white Christians like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. And we do this work remembering we are building up a new world. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's Song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December, 2014 being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. The word is resistance. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap uh, with you today. I am the faith program coordinator for showing up for racial justice. Um, I am a UCC ordained minister and I live on uh, land of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, uh, the piece of which is currently called Buffalo, New York. For Lent, we are offering some special conversations with our contributors, which we are starting with this special Ash Wednesday episode. So I'm actually here with uh, Nicola Torbett and Margaret Ernst, and I'm so excited to be with you. Um, Nicola, do you wanna greet our folks? Yes. Hey, friends. Good to be back with you. My name is Nicola Torbett, and I'm a settler on unceded Ohlone land, part of which is called Oakland, California. Um, and I'm deeply grateful to the long movement history in this town, uh, led by Black folks, Indigenous folks, and other people of color. My primary communities of accountability are First Congregational Church of Oakland, and Second Acts, which is a liturgical direct action group. And also here with us is Margaret Ernst. Margaret? Hi, everyone. This is Margaret. And you can call me by she and her. And I today am sitting at a wooden kitchen table in a house on Lenape Hoking territory which is close to where I live also as a settler on this land. I have um, dwelt in the Philadelphia area for some of, or most of my adult life and also spent time in Cherokee land in Tennessee where I was deeply shaped by movement communities doing immigrant justice work and worker justice and prior to that was shaped by Faith in Action, formerly known as the PICO Network in Philadelphia. Now, I find myself an ordained reverend and movement chaplain and friend to the two people that 
or I'll be speaking with on this call. Today I'm carrying with me um, changes in my life and some heartache and also deep gratitude for what is possible when we lean into uh, belovedness in our relationships and our friendships like these ones. That's beautiful. I think, yeah, this, um, the friendship of the three of us uh, means we could be here all day to talk about the text for today um, and about this series. But Margaret, don't you want to tell us about this series? Because this was really uh, your idea um, that also came out of like long text threads over the last few months as we've been watching what's been happening in the country and with the pandemic and what does it mean to be white in this moment and be, to be white Christian in this moment? Um, uh, but this, this uh, set of conversations that we'll be having over Lent is really a gift from you. So why don't you tell us about what this is? Well, for a bit more about myself, I'm currently also in alignment with and working for Faith Matters Network, which is a womanist-led organization that focuses on social and personal transformation. And uh, as a Black woman-led organization, my colleagues, Reverend Jennifer Bailey as our executive director and Mickey Scott Bay Jones as our director of healing and resilience. As a white person on staff, I often make sure that what I do in alignment with Faith Matters Network is in the service of the work of Faith Matters Network, but that I also have a deep responsibility to doing work with and among other white Christians. The work with Surge Faith and our collective project and experiment over time in this podcast has been really important to me. And on January 6th, when there was an attack on the Capitol by white supremacist Christian militants, I remember staring the screen with the Jesus Saves banner. But staring particularly at that Jesus Saves banner, I realized that um, all this work that we've been doing is of deep importance towards the kind of thinking and strategizing and public leading that we, we really are called to do with other white Christians and that we only learn how to do it better and better by a conscious practice of self-reflection. We've been doing the podcast for four years now. Um, mm -hmm. We have what Anne has been called basically like a systematic theology of, for white Christians <laughs> trying to do racial justice work. And I feel very proud of that. And yeah. I also know that going deeper with each other means going deeper also in our relationships and our collective thinking. There's only so much that our individual insights can do. And I actually, I really do believe that an enormous amount of possible directions of our, of our work, whether it's strategies or tactics or campaigns or tools or resources or, you know, what is needed in this time emerges from what we learn from each other. So we want to do a, a conversation series, especially in Lent as a time of self-reflection as white Christians who are trying to lean on each other to figure this out and acknowledging we just can't build the kinds of strategies you know, in isolation and we need each other. So what you'll what yeah. can expect from these conversations is that we'll be weaving the text, but you'll also just hear us feeling around each other's minds and hearts and experiences and stories. We hope to do this with humility, with looking towards the text 
and hoping that there might be signposts towards strategies and answers, <laughs> but we're, we, the humility is, is partly because this is Lent. <laughs> <laughs> These two people, Anne and Nicola, have been signposts in my life. That's the word that Dr. Vincent Harding used to describe ways that we figure out the next path in our journey. And so we hope that these conversations can be signposts to you in ways that we will tell truths about ourselves, about what is not working about how we organize white Christians or what, where we don't even perceive ourselves fully and what like the fullness of the work is to be done. So it's an invitation into our honesty and truth telling into community and asking in particular how, as white Christians seeking to follow Jesus out of our own wounds to heal the wounds that this identity is done to ourselves and to others. So we'll be asking ourselves that question as we look at these texts and also what visions for the work of belonging and healing and mutual interest and in racial justice we can find. And what might that lead us into with our friends, our comrades, our communities, our churches, our families, our mm. chosen families, mm-hmm. who, are, who share our experience of being in this history of being white and being Christian. With that, I'll ask uh, Nicola to start with our text. Great. So for this Ash Wednesday episode, we are looking at the gospel text, which is Matthew chapter six, verses one through six, and then verses 16 through 21. And it starts like this. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do do not sound a a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rusts consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store for your, up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rusts consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Matthew 6, 1 through 6, 16 through 21. passage and what stands out to us. I find myself thinking about social media and ways oh. that we curate our images on social media um, to make it very clear that we are woke I don't know who it was who first coined the phrase woke righteousness, mm. um, <laughs> but that definitely comes to mind reading this text, like this concern about how we appear to others and appearing to know about anti-racism and appearing to be doing something. Um, and there seems to be a warning in here about focusing on how we look um, and sort of performing our righteousness um, before others. So that's that's my first thought. I have lots of thoughts. I, I mean, I love that because it does like the kind of performance of wokeness, I think is, um, it doesn't help our movement because um, most of what the, happens in the movement is done in secret if we want to use the language of the text <laughs> or at least, you know, where people don't see and it's not sexy and you don't take a selfie and it's like, I'm filling out a spreadsheet for the 40,000th time to try to figure <laughs> out, you know, whatever. Right. Um, for me, when I read this text, the first thing that um, I do and which I did this morning to get prepared is like, well, who are these hypocrites? Because this is one of those texts that... Um, is used uh, to critique Judaism. Um, hypocrites translates in our brains to Pharisees. That's who we assume Jesus is talking about, which then translates into Judaism. And so there's a, for me, there's a danger here in setting up this text um, to be uh, this kind of uh, like, we're the Christians, we, we're the ones who are gonna do it right because there's something inherently wrong with, with Judaism. And that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. And I think that it's a problem that's actually translatable into our current situation because it, what happens in these gospels is when we, when we think that everything is an attack against Pharisees or an attack against, against Judaism, like Jesus against Judaism, then we actually miss what is happening in their lives, which is uh, the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things I learned or was reminded of at least this morning when I was reading is um, this kind of critique of, of the hypocrite, of the one who, who seems to perform for, for kind of outward recognition was actually a critique that the Pharisees had of, of members of their own like religious practice. 
So yeah. Jesus is actually making an argument that Pharisees make. And there's some really juicy stuff in the essays of the um, Jewish annotated in the Testament about whether or not Jesus was actually a Pharisee, which I think is really fascinating, perhaps not relevant to, today, to today's conversation, but it gives it a whole different flavor when, well, he can't be actually attacking those Pharisees over there as right. over there when they're making the same argument. It's all the same argument, this critique of, of, of hypocrites. Um, there's also a really interesting note in my Oxford um, annotated Bible that Roman philanthropy included the public display of good works. So now we have a whole nother layer of what in the world was Jesus talking about? Who was this critique actually for? Mm. Was it, was it, you know, uh, for me, it's like clearly not like Jesus and Christianity are the answer to the problems of Judaism because that, that's like inherently a bad argument and a violent one. So then what's actually happening? Is there um, like an, actually a subtle kind of what we sometimes call in, in biblical studies, a, a hidden transcript at play here about who's actually being critiqued and the kinds of public displays of, of wealth um, and, and good works that were intended to put the recipients of the good works in debt to the one who was doing it. Like that's, that's how like Roman society worked. The people who were the elite and had the wealth would show off with these good works um, and uh, in order to make themselves look good, there's language that, um, that creeps into later Christianity, later into Christianity about like works of mercy and whatnot um, that Paul picks up on in Romans and tears, tears down. Um, and so all of that is to say, what happens when we get the target of the critique wrong mm. and in thinking about about how you frame this conversation for us margaret about you know white christians who who have some sense of commitment to anti-racism and yet also what happened on on january 6th you know and how white christianity is being has been continues to be weaponized and where the the blame for that falls so consistently on the people who it actually is not. You know, maybe some of y'all saw this after January the 6th, but it's been consistent in the whole kind of Trump era of, well, it's the fault of poor and working class yeah. white people, mm -hmm. yeah. poor and working class Southerners, you know, the, the backwards ones who don't actually get it. We're the saved ones. They're the ones who don't get it. And that's actually an incorrect analysis. And by distancing ourselves from them in the way that, that Christianity traditionally asks us to distance ourselves um, in, in texts like today's does not actually serve our movement and help our movement become stronger. Because we've got the target wrong the target is like 
I would argue, you know, like the, 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 the equivalent of the elite wealthy Romans who are showing off to show how great they are. Um, so the elite wealthy white people who run the shit in this country are cussed. I do that. Actually. Okay, I'll keep going. Um, and not the folks that, that so many of us uh, as, as the woke, if you will, the woke righteous white people hold at arm's length. Yeah. Because it would mean very difficult conversations with people that we don't want to talk to. Yeah. Right. Right. It's something that I have been examining in myself since we've kind of opened up this conversation since last fall. So that's kind of where I'm I am with this text. It's it's a not super well formed thought because it was like that little detail about the Roman piece just came came in my reading this morning like oh there's there's something different going on here than what we've been taught um and what does that have to teach us about what we're what we're you know where do we go from here as white christians in this movement moment if you will yeah thanks thanks for talking about how we distance ourselves from, quote, the other white Christians. It's very true about a lot of the local churches I've been a part of that are predominantly white and with whom I've shared deep connection, kinship and community, that our tendency is to do a lot of virtue sing- signaling. By that, I mean the this showing that we are, we are not the bad Christians, we are not the supremacist yeah, yeah, yeah. Christians, we are not the racist Christians, we are not the homophobic Christians, we are not the X, Y, and Z, you know, um, anti-Semitic Christians, we are not the, the anti-Muslim Christians. So there's, there's a lot of positioning ourselves as what that we are not. And I think I've, what's like coming to me right now, and I, I wonder how you would see this connected to the text, is that like in, in my own experience, often when I'm positioning myself against what I'm not, because I, I feel at a deeper level, okay, I'm sh- <laughs> of course all of that is operative in me and I'm just doing a really good job to hide it. But also I think pain and my own hurt mm. is present because ways that I have felt I have not belonged or ways I've been harmed by other white Christians. Yes. Mm. Or in which I did not fit in or in which I have experienced suspicion or anger or rage. Oh God, all that, yeah. I personally grew up um, attending quite wealthy white churches, um, which spoke did speak a lot of um, sort of doing good towards those that they um, that we perceived of as quote like less fortunate, right? Less <laughs> whatever language is used, and. Um, and I would then read, like late, you know, later on, I would read the Bible and I would see these texts about justice. And so I would just be raging inside and so confused and disconnected from why what from what I was experiencing in, in this worship space and sanctuary space felt so um, inauthentic to what I was hearing from the from the tradition. My anger at that is what caused me to leave those spaces and to find more justice seeking. Christian, mm-hmm. like I now commune with, and particularly in my work with Faith Matters Network, 
Black-centered and Black women-centered Christian community. Mm -hmm. um, but where that leads me, I realize, is both towards, like, towards uh, more centrist and liberal progressive denominations, predominantly white Christian spaces, and towards the religious right and conservative white Christians. There's this pain of familiarity or something. There's a pain of where I have been hurt that then is fuels the distancing. Mm. And then I believe fuels my own sense of my own righteousness and desire to be above or over and mm. separate from in a way that then actually puts me out of any kind of context of any like entry point of meaningful relationship. Mm. You're preaching now, Margaret. Mm. <laughs> I feel that. I really feel that. Yeah. And I feel the place where my own queerness intersects here. You know, right. like we talk a lot about going to get our cousins, right? And calling in our family members, our white mm -hmm. family members. Um, but the truth is, I've been hurt by a lot of those very same people yeah. who maybe voted for Trump you know, and so what it takes for me to go and talk to them, there's like a whole process. And yeah, there is a part of me that wants to be self-righteous, you know, like as a way of armoring up. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I really appreciate you drawing that out. Yeah. I was thinking about that too, of, you know, also being queer and <laughs> we all share that and that, that experience of having to leave in order to be able to survive um, and to hold some sense of space, some sense of boundary in order to be able to heal, in order to be able to be safe. Those are legit choices, right? Um, and also, yeah. I carry pain around that. I carry pain around like being in a denomination that claims to be so woke and yet so seriously does not resource like any kind of organizing. It doesn't resource uh, like actual anti-racist work well. And then I think also because of the research that I've done for Surge Faith, um, hasn't resourced the South or poor and working class white communities either. Mm. And how has that helped to keep that divide like open mm. and make it harder for us to be able to, to connect with folks. Mm. Um, and just so many things going going on in my mind right now. I'm thinking about um, that just that total lack of investment, our own choices around safety. Like it's complicated. The pain that's there. Um, I'm thinking about how, like, as a queer feminist Southerner, how it feels really difficult to be able to go back home to my home state of Arkansas. Um, the kind of anxiety I feel when I go back to visit 
my family, not because of my family so much, but like I want to go to church or be out in public and not in their homes. Like, how do I dress? Like, I don't even like what <laughs> am I going to be safe? Like, are we going to be safe? Um, and then also like lately realizing like just the layers on layers of this, like realizing like the shame I carry around also for being from the South. Mm -hmm. um, not so much because of the choices that my family made, you know, my ancestors made, um, although that's a layer of things, but thinking about what it felt like when we left the South for the first time and how I was treated um, and like the pain that, that is there, there. So it's just, there's a, there's a lot to work with <laughs> in all of this. So where do we get off calling each other hypocrites? Like why, why are we even reading this text for today? Like, I don't like, right. how is that helpful? Even yeah. Jesus, why would you do that? <laughs> I, I appreciate you Nicola naming it as armor mm. because I think there's a way from which I could just feel, you know we could just sit here and feel ashamed about all the ways that we distance ourselves right um and then create even a distance towards ourselves <laughs> like within that shame but I think it feels helpful to recognize that like it um when we're hurt, of course we put on whatever armor we can so that we will not be hurt again or that we, so that we can feel okay or we can feel certain or we can feel clear and like just have like some ground to stand on and or like a place to call home. Like it's a spiritual home that, that works, that makes sense. Um, and I think name, you're naming the kind of public display of piety in that way as armor and like piety is, um, in, our, in this conversation, context and conversation, like public declarations of being the good white Christians, <laughs> essentially, yeah. um, that when it, I think what's clear about naming it as, as, as defense mechanism is that it helps me to see how we have to take responsibility for our own healing for the ways that our tradition has harmed us mm. so that we can get in the kinds of formations that take responsibility for how our traditions harm others. Mm. Mm. Wow. And I'll be honest that I don't think I would know that with as much clarity if I didn't work with black women, right? <laughs> Because I have seen within the womanist ethic of um, that I that I learn from our work at Faith Matters Network, like the that taking responsibility from one for one's own healing is essential is 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 strategic, right? Mm. Because otherwise you can't um, do the work, right? Like I, I, when I was in more white male dominated organizing spaces, anything related to healing was always considered like extra after the work. And I think it's because there seemed to be not a level of ability to grasp or access that the healing was necessary to do the work because otherwise we're showing up 
so internally like wounded all the time that we don't actually get the work done or do the work well or can't be in the relationships that help the work to happen and so like I think that this yeah there's a clarity coming from what we've talked about so far that yeah there's this this necessary responsibility and honesty about naming how we've been harmed that's important because I um whatever that looks like however that shows up for us and needs to happen is important I think there's a way that I have thought I've I've thought that if I were it to be I mean I experienced this in organizing um with Surge in Nashville and working with a larger Church of Christ congregation um Church of Christ not United Church of Christ and there was there was a way that that was so different from my own religious upbringing um which was in the more like liberal um, mainline denominations that I felt drawn towards um, this kinship of getting to know more conservative folk, um, and um, and yet, as soon as I entered into it, I quickly reached like the same heart, like the same wounds that um, mm. my friends who come from more conservative background. I was trying to lead and. To teach and speak publicly in a building in which women could not speak on a pulpit or speak um, mm. Mm. You know, as leaders in the church spiritually. And I was hiding my queerness, right? As much as I possibly mm. could, like dressing intentionally femme so that no one would know I was. So, like, you know, I, I bumped into every mind, like mine. Um, and what healing I could have maybe, or like kind of what, what belonging I could have felt in the context of building strategically um, against racism in that context was not possible. And so um, we're not possible, but like I couldn't show up with my fuller self. So I, I, I think that there's, yeah, there's just something to like not looking for our healing there um, in the end yet knowing that there's something broader that happens when we do that work, when we do show up to it with not expecting it to be something that's not, I don't know if that makes sense. Um, not expecting it in itself to be what is our balm, but that it is a part of this broader balm of collective work in service mm-hmm. liberation, which heals, does heal us all. And, mm. um, and that picks up our piece of the puzzle. It makes me think, I can't remember if you use this in your framing, but the language of mutual interest that we use in Surge um, about not not coming at the work of of anti-racism or more broadly dismantling white supremacy, like somehow as the white people were the the saviors and we're going to help these people over there, these poor folks who are experiencing oppression, but understanding we all live in a system that is harmful, um, including to white people, not in the same way as to black and indigenous and other people of color, um, but it harms us. And when we can begin to get at, um, as white people, the ways in which living under white supremacy actually harms us, it makes us better at doing the rest of the work and we can come alongside instead of you know, of our black and indigenous and uh, beloveds rather than 
coming in from above with like the ideas of how it's going to happen or, or charity models or, or, or other kinds of more problematic formations that just sort of serve to reinforce the supremacy that we're trying to undo. So what I hear, Margaret, is like similarly within white Christianity, when we're able to name the ways that, that white Christianity has harmed us, even if we're on the, the left or nobody can see me making the air quotes, but the, the left um, within the church um, that actually helps us to, to, to connect better, I think, when we recognize that white Christianity is actually harmful and it's also harmful to us in some of the ways that we have named. Um, and mainline progressive white Christianity is not off the hook, mm -hmm. which that we all kind of, the three of us kind of come from, from that. Um, you know, it's not off the hook in, in perpetuating those, that same kind of harm, the disinvestment in any kind of, you know, uh, or, uh, racial justice um, work disinvestment in rural, poor, Southern communities, um, blaming the South all the time for all the problems that are really the problems of white supremacy in all of its forms. Um, and just the data shows like the, the majority of white Christians all across the board voted for Trump, approved of Trump. That, that indicts all of us, right? The, um, yeah, I think getting in touch with that, how has it harmed me? Mm -hmm. How has it harmed us? Like, in part helps us know how to like, do what needs to be done better for collective liberation. But it keeps us in that place also, I think of humility of, of yeah. you know, if we're gonna be in the practice of trying to connect to the ones that we've held distant and, and blamed in many ways incorrectly, being able to perhaps find some common ground yeah. around that. Wow. Thank you, both of you, for everything that you're saying. It's really, um, I have about 10,000 ideas exploding in my head right now. Uh, <laughs> and we'll see which ones I can actually latch onto. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really thinking about how part of what white supremacy does is to erode systems of support and just the ways that as queer kids, we didn't have, like our, our church communities were supposed to be our communities of support. And for many of us just weren't, you know, just failed miserably at that. Yeah. And at how, I'm also thinking about how even in progressive, Christian contexts, there is like this idea that being Christian or following Jesus is about morality or like being a good person, right? Like, and appearing to be a good person. And um, there's something about that that feels really problematic to me. Not that we don't want to be good people and do the right thing and all of that, but, but that it's like this exterior overlay, yeah. a, a laminate surface mm. or something, rather than an actual longing to come into integrity 
in our own lives. And I feel that in this passage, you know, Mm -hmm. and I really, and I was so grateful at the way you sort of um, redirected us toward, hmm, who's this really a critique of? (laughs) Probably not the Jews. Maybe, could it be Rome? (laughs) You know? What? That's my answer to everything. but. (laughs) But it made me think about like corporate giving, right? Mm. Like what is corporate giving? (laughs) Corporate giving is the appearance of doing something. It's like tobacco companies giving to smoking cessation programs, right? While selling the drug. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it, it like here in the Bay area, we have all these big tech companies, right? And so part of their maintaining of their image is to do this giving but we had this big campaign last year around Salesforce, which of course is one of the platforms that supports ICE. Mm. Um, and they decided that they were gonna give $30 million to study homelessness. Oh God. <laughs> They're gonna do a study. And so, you know, it, anyone who's been following this podcast knows that, you know, some of the movement leaders I follow in the Bay Area are, um, Tiny Gray Garcia and the homefulness community who are all either currently unhoused or formerly unhoused people. And they were like, could you just maybe give us 1 million, one of those 30 million (laughs) so that we could build some housing, you know, because we actually already know what the solution to homelessness is. It's housing. (laughs) But instead you want to spend all your money on studying. It's like, there's this way that Rome, right? The elite want to like move money around in such a way that it looks like they're doing something without actually ever transforming the underlying structures. Um, And then the, the final point that was just kind of exploding in my head is like, so, so one of the things that tiny Gray Garcia was saying is like, Hey, any of you white folks or folks with formal education privilege, you know, can you work your connections to get to the executives of Salesforce and ask them to give us a million dollars, you know? But for me as a a raised poor working class person, the idea of trying to talk to someone at Salesforce is like super intimidating Mm. and brings up all of my internalized classism and shame around like, why would they listen to me? They're not gonna listen to me, you know? And who am I? And I don't have the right words and, so, so there's a whole other piece of healing around there that, that would enable me to actually be of more service, you know, and, and have the brave conversations um, with people who have access to actually shifting things. I find myself also wanting to look more closely at taking responsibility for where I do have access. I think it's been easy for me, especially as I've gotten approved by the institutional church as a minister, to (laughs) even within it, even further want to distance myself as a leader because of frustration. But then I think about um, how like ultimately actually owning and claiming the, the positions of authority we've been given or um, like whether or not we 
<laughs> we like how we how ambivalently we feel about them. Um, <laughs> I mean, mostly because I see that modeled right by by black leaders, by indigenous leaders, by black women leaders, by black queer leaders, by black trans leaders, really never taking for taking for granted what needs to be done with with leadership and mm-hmm. this is leadership and mm-hmm. so um you know as I think about this through the lens of Lent I'm like what do I need to put down right we often put down mm. <laughs> in Lent and I'm like I need to put down my sense of my own powerlessness uh, <laughs> yes <laughs> I need to put down my feeling that the work itself will be the healing um because though i do believe the work is a healing i also need to take and to put down the belief that it is all of it every step i take has to be the healing every move i make has to be the healing and like every breath i take has to be the healing what i was taught about um from pico and faith in action is that power is simply to be able to be able to have autonomy and say in what happens to you and into what the world you you live in looks like and what your community is like and who is hurt and who hoards power and I want to put down whatever holds me back from claiming that responsibly and um, I want to put down the belief that I could never do it right enough Mm. yes and thus disavowing myself. And I want to put down the idea that I would want to, that I need to do it alone. <laughs> that the only way that I can actually show up with a, um, like moving, like holding all those contradictions of pain within me or, or like spaces that like I am ashamed or don't feel like enough. Like the only way to actually be present with that all is to have enough relationships of love and belonging and connection right but I need to take them seriously enough those, those relationships seriously enough and the faces of belonging seriously enough and myself seriously enough mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I give myself a pass for my own healing mm. because maybe it has to do with Christianity itself right this of the that has told me that um it doesn't matter like to feel to feel good in oneself right <laughs> we've gotten that message a lot ancestors our ancestors got that message a lot especially women ancestors wow they were told they're a piece of crap so no, no wonder we often feel like pieces of crap <laughs> we get generations and generations and generations and generations of being told that we're crap and thus making yeah. us powerless to change anything yeah because when you have a whole bunch of people who are told that they're crap Mm. A lot harder to rise up yeah. <laughs> and name who benefits and to do things together in That's relationship right. together. Yeah. Well, let's lay that shit down. <laughs> for that. sure. <laughs> yeah, I want to second, like for myself, the laying down of like feeling alone or that I have to do it all by myself. Like that was a good coping skill when I was a teenager because that was the truth that I was living in. But it doesn't actually serve me uh, <laughs> in this moment um, and probably the rest of the moments in my life. Um, and I think it's, it's 
a way that white supremacy tries to keep us separated from each other. Um, and because uh, if it's just me by myself all alone, wow, it's easy to fall into despair. Wow, it's easy to feel like this is never gonna be enough to fix all the problems of the world. I can never be enough. Um, and this has been something I've been like practicing with since the fall, I think. And one of the and one of the first ways I did that was reach out to the two of you, right? Like little text group, like I actually need to have people in my life. Like, I mean, I have friends, I have a beautiful, wonderful relationship of you know, 26 plus years, I have friends, but like some like on that daily sense that I am, I am not in this alone. Mm. I don't have to figure it all out by myself. I don't have to figure out my healing all by myself. That's true. That's true. You know, and, um, and I'm, I'm thinking back to this text and this, like, go in your room and shut the door and be in secret. I'm like, that's dangerous, actually, which makes me think that's not what Jesus actually meant. I hope that he didn't actually mean you're on your own in yeah. the face of the empire. Like, I don't think that's what he meant at all. Now I want to like do a whole like podcast that's just on this, like, what is, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> uh, because everything else that he does is so collective, right? Feed each other, touch each other, heal each other, like all, all of that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, um, you know, the, the, one group that he actually names is the Gentiles. So that should be a clue in verse seven, which we didn't read. Don't be like the Gentiles. There might be a little hint, <laughs> something different going on here. I really want there to be something different going on here than go in your closet and figure it all out by yourself. Like as a queer mm. person, obviously that's a problem. Um, but in general, I think within white supremacy, yeah. we, we, we need each other. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I want to lay that down. I want to keep laying that down. And I, I know we're almost done, but <laughs> and I think, you know, find enough of your own space and your own boundaried um, place of solitude to be able to hear what is yours and yours alone. Right. And oh, sure. Know. I'm the world's hugest introvert. So awesome. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like I would only have, I'm only able to be here with you all now having this conversation because I did take some time, right? Like mm. myself. So I think that there's, yeah, there's a, there's these pulls, right? Of either being entirely enmeshed in community in which we cannot find ourselves. And then there's yeah. the other pull with, of the ex- vast isolation and shame for even needing to to reach out for each other. So um, I think- Down with binaries. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I'm so grateful for what has unfolded from us looking at this text together. So grateful to both of you. So grateful for all of you who are listening. And we hope that there's something here for you that you'll be taking with you on your own journey you'll have some clarity at what you want to put down and also how you will find the power that is within you. The sacred power. Yes. Deeply sacred power. Rise.
podcast for a while, you know that we always end with some kind of call to action. We've given you a lot of possibilities for like internal or perhaps not all on your own um, collective work to have, have these kinds of conversations, take these questions that we're asking um, and, uh, uh, and, and talk with your people, find your people and have these conversations together with them. Um, we also want to continue to raise up as an action, you know, to, to access the community safety for all toolkit, because I think there's so much in there. I say with humility is one of the like main creators of it. Although both of you actually helped an immense amount. Um, there is stuff in there about, you know, if, we, if we're not relying on police, then we are actually relying on one another in whole new ways and figuring out that kind of growth together and that reliance on one another, which to me also feels resonant to some of the things that we talked about today. So, um, so that's your call to action for, for this week, for the Ash Wednesday. Lay some stuff down, uh, type S from the police. Um, those are always uh, good answers. Um, so thank you. Thank you all for joining us uh, wherever you are on this good earth today. Um, we'd always love to hear from you. You can comment on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook. Um, and also, we'd love to hear about how we're doing, especially from folks of color and non-Christian folks who may be uh, checking us out. Next week, we'll have a resistance word from uh, actually a whole nother conversation with a whole different crew that Margaret is putting together from, uh, from our awesome contributors. So um, be excited and, and be ready for that. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives on SoundCloud. Search on the word is resistance. You can give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Transcripts are available as well on, on our website, although I don't think because of the conversational nature of these that we'll have transcripts for these. We'll have to talk about that in a minute, I think. Um, but uh, the transcripts will include references and resources and action links. So we'll make sure you at least have that. And finally, a huge thanks to our sound editor this week, who is Matt Reno. We're really grateful for you, Matt, for stepping in um, for us for this special episode. So as we close out this episode, I would just remind all of you that you are not alone. We are with you. You are loved and lovable, and we're in this together. So many blessings to you for good health, deep transformation, and loving connection as we build up a new world. 
Until next time, this is The Word is Resistance. <laughs>